God continues to lead us from his word. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Well, brothers and sisters, let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word. Let me invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is the text that's before us this morning, the ninth song in the Songs of Ascents. And that will be our topic this morning. Um, In your bulletin is an outline. I encourage you to locate it and take notes and follow along. And by God's grace, together, let's learn this beautiful psalm. Um, This is indeed God's word. So let me invite you to stand together with me as I read this this, uh, portion of God's word. Hear now the word of our king. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord." The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. As for the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time you've given us now to come here and fellowship with you, both in in the preaching of your word and the table that we will participate in. Lord, bless this time. Holy Spirit, go forth and take your words and impress them deeply within us. That, Lord, we truly would feast upon you. That we would be convicted. That we would be humbled. We would be rebuilt into the images of of Jesus Christ. Lord, that our delight and joy would be you and you alone. Bless this time towards that end unto your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite ministers of old is Robert Murray McShane. I hope you've heard of him. I think you might have. I've quoted from him. He was born in 1813 in Edinburgh. He uh, attended um, university at the age of 14. The age of 18, he was saved. The age of 22, he graduated from seminary in Edinburgh and uh, got his first call as an assistant pastor in a church in Edinburgh. The next year, at the age of 23, he took um, the call to St. Peter's Church in Dundee, Scotland. And there he ministered six years until the age of 29 when he died of tuberculosis. Now what's amazing about this man's ministry is it was uneventful. Nothing happened, 
really. He was faithful. In fact, you wouldn't even know about him if it wasn't for, for Andrew Bonar, who published his, some of his sermons in his writings. That's the only reason you know and I know about this minister. And yet, this minister has had an incredible impact. His work, that, that publication, has, has encouraged many giants in the faith. Why? What is it about this man, this uneventful life, that has produced so much blessing? At least in my life, certainly. John Piper answers that question in an article he wrote on this man's life when he wrote, As I've tried to think through what makes such an uneventful life so useful, even 167 years or 176 years after his death, now it's 181, it isn't any extraordinary event in his life. Rather, it is his extraordinary passion for Christ. And that's what I love about Murray, Murray's quotes. They, they, they lead me to Christ. They make me want to know him more. For example, he wrote, Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Boy, we need to hear that, especially in our day. We're so preoccupied with self um, physically, but we're also preoccupied with self spiritually. We tend to be so myopic, focusing on, am I, am I serving God well? What am I doing? What am I not doing? This man said, brothers, take your eyes off yourself and gaze upon Christ nine times for every time that you look at yourself. Another one, remember, you are not a tree that can live and stand alone. You are only a branch. And it is only while you, t- while you abide in Christ as the branch in the vine that you will flourish or even live. Brothers and sisters, that is the theme, that is the message of Psalm 128. We've seen that Psalm 128 and Psalm 127 are linked linguistically, as we'll see this morning with the words, and they're also linked thematically. Psalm 127 chooses as its illustration children, the, uh, the family. Psalm 128 chooses as its illustration children, the family. Okay, so there's a lot of linkage here. However, there's a difference. The message of Psalm 127 was this. Brothers and sisters, in a land of vanity, when much of what is going on in this world will not uh, last, because you are in Jesus Christ, your work will last for eternity. You are eternal beings. And what you do here in Christ will indeed last into the next age. Incredible. Well, Psalm 128 adds to that theme and basically says, uh, speaks of the, empowerful, of the powerful impact of a life lived for Christ, in Christ, to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. That's what this psalm is all about. It's a call for the pilgrim going to Jerusalem to worship God, for the, for the pilgrim living in a fallen world, in a land of lies and deceits, to focus and frame their heart and their mind upon, upon loving, knowing, and reflecting Jesus Christ. Nothing's more important, says Psalm 128. We see it with verse 1, the call. Notice with me the call. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. 
Let's start looking at some of the words. The word blessed. It's the same word used in Psalm 127, so we've seen it, a shard. And that word means to be envied. So this he's not saying how happy. This is saying the man who's to be envied as you walk on the road to Jerusalem, as you live in the wilderness, longing to go to our heavenly home, as you and I are prepare for the new heavens and the new earth, the man that we're called to idolize, envy, pattern our lives after, long to be like, that's what the word blessed means. How blessed is the man, what's it say? Who fears the Lord. That's who you should emulate. The word fear. That's not the word for terror. Okay? Exodus 20, you can look at Exodus 20, 20. I'm going to quote it probably in a little bit. But Moses wrote these things and he told them, don't be afraid, but fear God. Okay? So it's not terror. The idea behind biblical fear, Yahweh in the Hebrew, is a mixed idea between one, reverence, having a high view of who God is, his transcendency, his greatness, his majesty, his glory, reverence, mixed with love. It's not just reverence. Non-believers are going to have that on the last day. Every knee will bow. But what makes biblical fear in the life of God's people, glorious. It's not just revering God, it's loving him as a result. It's because you see him, and what caused that? Well, we see him as our friend. Everything and anything we know about God, we understand because of the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ, that that is our, our glory. That's our joy, Yes, God is transcendent, and in his presence, any fallen man would, be, uh, would die immediately, says Moses. But that being loves us. That being saved us. So the idea behind fearing God is this, is this mixture between reverencing, have this high, high understanding of who God is, living in light of who he is, but also being driven in light of who he is out of love for him. Brothers and sisters, do you get that? Do, do you taste it? Do you see what it is? The psalmist here, God here saying this, brothers and sisters, you live in a fallen world. And because you're performance-based, you are going to be apt to want to, to, to look at people and say, man, that guy is successful. I want to be like him. That woman is successful. I want to be like her. And our temptation is, is to live horizontally as Christians. We have this God-given desire to emulate. And we will tend to emulate the people of this world who are successful. Asaph did. One of my favorite Psalms, Asaph in Psalm 73, wrote these words. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of, of the wicked. Notice how that prosperity was incarnated in their lives. For there are no pains in their death. Their body's fat. They're not in trouble as, as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. See, brothers and sisters, we have this tendency. Now, that is why marketing works so well. Marketing, you know it, um, they will take a, 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 something that they're selling, like a car. Look at the picture in your bulletin. A car, and they'll place a cool-looking man there. Right? Look at that guy. What guy here wouldn't want to look like him? You know, svelte, skinny, jeans, Levi's, t-shirt, 
your sunglasses. I mean, that guy is the epitome of the man I wish I was this day looking like, right? Cool dude, man. And if I buy that car, I may be a big, fat, bald guy, but that's not what I'll look like. I'll look just like him. So it's easy for us to envy, to set up as heroes, people we want to be like, within the horizontal realm, what the world values. God comes to his people and says, brothers and sisters, it is imperative that you envy the man. You set up in your mind. You watch over your heart with all diligence. You frame your desires to be set and focused on the man or the woman who reverences God and loves him more than life. That's what he wants us to put as our heroes. That's what he wants us as parents to teach our kids to want to be like. That's what you want to be like when you grow up, is the man or the woman who fears the Lord. That's the whole psalm. Now, he describes here, God goes one step further. He describes what that looks like. What does it mean to, okay, you've defined it, but incarnated in life, embodied. What does that look like? Notice the, on the next phrase. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now, if you look at Bible commentators, everyone that I, I've got, almost everyone, basically says, basically, the one who fears the Lord is the one who walks according to the Bible. And, um, and that's true, but that's not what this phrase means. This phrase means much more than that. If you would, in your Bibles, go to Mark, or Mark, Psalm 25, okay? If, uh, I don't have you turn very frequently, but turn there. Psalm 25, Mark this, is a scripture memory verse, if you will, but it's a great verse. This is David, and this is a prayer that David prays to God in Psalm 25, 4 through 5. Notice what he prays. It's progressive. Make me know thy ways. That's why I'm quoting this, because it's parallel to our passage. Make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. Okay, he uses three words which you might think are synonymous. The ways, the paths, and the truth of God. But they're not. Let's talk with truth about truth. Lead me in thy truth. Or what does he say there? Make me know thy, thy, thy truth. Lead me in thy truth. That's God's word. That is the truth of God's word. David's saying, God, let me live in light of the truth of your word. May this be that which governs me. Lead me in it. Well, what's the paths of the Lord? Well, the paths of the Lord would be where you go as a result of the truth of God's word. So, for example, in, in Christ's day, God's truth led him to the weak, the hurting, the outcast. It, it led him not to, to rub arms and shoulders with the religious leaders of his day, the hypocrites, even though they looked so good and were, and were the envy of the people, even though they looked just like that picture, right? Rather, the path of Christ, knowing the truth of God's word, led Christ to Calvary, a cross, a death march to self, and the healing of the nations. You get the idea. Brothers and sisters, the paths were the, were the, were the places Christ walked. So the, the, the truth of God is his word. But you can take that truth. Where do you go? What do you do with it? Where do you go? That's the paths of the Lord. Well, then what's the way? The way 
is the manner in which Jesus walked as he walked on those paths. So if you, you're, most of you are familiar with, uh, with the uh, distinction between elements, circumstances, and form. Truth are the elements of the faith, God's word. Circumstances would be where, you, where, where it leads you, right? The circumstances of life, that's the paths. Form are the ways, the manner in which Christ walked all right, it's the Philippians 3 or, or 2 5 where, where Paul says, Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the way of the Lord. How, what was the way of the Lord in Jesus' life? The way of the Lord was, 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 was one of patience, kindness, forbearance, the fruit of the Spirit. It also spoke of his, of his meekness, his strength under control, in which John 3, he severely rebuked a religious hypocrite. And then in John 4, a bruised reed he did not break. That's the way of the Lord. We're talking here about his godliness. So this passage, notice it says, brothers and sisters, the call, envy, set up the person in your life who you are going to call your hero, that you want to follow. And you know what that person must be as God's people? A man or a woman of God. What does it look like? It looks like the manner in which Jesus Christ walked, which embodies this path, which embodies truth. But ultimately, what he's talking about here is the, is the manner. How did Jesus Christ walk? Brother, he's, he walked with humility. He walked with, with um, meekness, strength under a control. That's how he walked. So this call is a very important call for God's people. And that call is very uh, simple. Brothers and sisters, you and I must put as what we emulate. We've got to guard our hearts carefully here. It's going to be tempting to, to, to emulate those people and those people, the rich, the wealthy, the powerful, the successful, the popular. Those are the people who we want to watch and, and follow. But in our hearts, God says no. Don't emulate them. Emulate the godly. There'll be people who aren't wealthy, necessarily. There'll be people who aren't popular, necessarily. There'll be people who don't have jobs, necessarily. But that's who you want to emulate. That's who you want to follow. That's who you, as the years go by, want to become more and more looking like. The manner, the way. Think of Ephesians 4, Paul exhorted, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner, the way, worthy of the calling which you have been called. And what's that manner? With humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. That's the way. That's what we want to look like as we grow old. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him on himself to walk in the same manner, the same way as he walked. That's the idea behind this psalm. Psalm 128, envy the man who reverences God in love. And what will that translate to uh, practically? A way of life, a way of humility, of putting other people first, of meekness, of as we've just seen it here, of, of forbearance and love and patience and gentleness and humility and all the other fruits of the Spirit. That's the idea. Now, that's who we're supposed to emulate. That's who we're supposed to follow. Now, if we stop here, we're on good ground. But my, my concern is, is we're going to take this and say, okay, find someone in your life 
who, who epitomizes the way of the Lord. Okay, got it? Now, what do they do? Well, they get up every morning and read God's word. I'm getting up every morning and read God's word. They pray a lot. I'm going to pray a lot. They, oh, they have a certain way of speaking. I'm going to talk, start speaking like that. They, they um, notice what they do, how they live. That, okay, I'm going to do all those different things. And by doing all those different things, I myself will become a man or woman of God. Brothers and sisters, that's faulty. If you follow the things that a man or woman of God do, you could very well become twice the son of hell. So what is it that makes a man or a woman of God a man or a woman of God? Scripture is very clear on this one. Now, the psalm doesn't spell it out, but Scripture is very clear on this one. What makes a man or a woman of God a man or woman of God is someone who beholds in faith the greatness of God and communes with God. Do you understand that? That's what makes a man or a woman. It's not what they do. It's whom they love, whom they worship, whom they fellowship with. Right? And who is that? That's Jesus Christ. Listen to some passages. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Paul wrote, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. How do I do that? For gar clause. In the Greek, you translate it, I say this because. Okay, be sober-minded, sophroneo. Be someone who lives in light of who God is. Okay, and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. He's explaining how to stop sinning. The way you stop sinning is by having the knowledge of God. What's the word knowledge mean? Love relationship. Brothers and sisters, only insofar as you and I set our focus on loving and knowing Christ, our goal in Bible reading is not to gain truth. Okay? Theology. Boy, let's do that, though. Of course. It's not that we might know how to live. How to, how do I go and, you know, you know fleeing... A youthful lust. Yes, those are also important. But brothers and sisters, if that's all you get from God's word, you're going to be a Pharisee. The whole point of God's word is to lead us to worship and reverence and and find our greatest pleasure and delight in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Exodus 20, 20. I told you I'd quote that uh, to you. Moses said to the people of God, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him, the reverence of him, would remain with you so that you may not sin. You want to know how you not sin, 1 Corinthians 15? is by reverencing God and loving him. That's how you do it. That's how that happens. It doesn't come in, in acting like godly people. That'll come. It comes in... Seeking, longing, proclaiming, knowing, fellowshipping with Christ. And thus we read the, the basis. Why do we evangelize? 2 Corinthians 5, 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Years ago, I heard a sermon of a guy saying, you know, the reason why you guys don't share the gospel is you don't believe it. If you believe it, you'll share it. If you don't believe it, you won't share it. So the reason why you're not sharing it is because you don't really believe it. I disagree with that. Because I live in Romans 7. The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I still sin. 
I believe Jesus Christ is master and Lord and deserves perfect obedience. But I still sin. Evidently, I don't believe that. No, I do believe that. It's my flesh that says, let's rebel and it's fun. Well, then what stops us from sinning? Reverencing God. Coming to a deeper understanding of who he is and loving him in response. What leads me to share the gospel with people? Coming to a greater understanding of how beautiful Christ is. How important Christ is. The glory and and majesty of his name and the meekness and kindness. Man, I want people to know who he is. And that's that's the overflow. You see it, brothers and sisters, in caring for people. We stress a lot here the importance of involving yourself in other people's lives. Have a quiet time for other people. When you're in God's word, seek to fellowship with Jesus Christ, but do it for other people, which means when you're done, you're going to share with other people what you've learned, right? We talk a lot about that, but there are people invariably in any group who says, that's just not my bag. I'm not very good with people. I'm a task-oriented. I'm not a people-oriented person. That's me, brothers and sisters. But brothers and sisters, that's nonsense. Listen to John 21. Let me ask you this. Of all people, of all the disciples, who do you think would have been the most task-oriented person? Would it not be Peter? He'd at least be one of our nominations. That guy was like, he had athlete's foot. He's always running, putting his feet in his mouth, the whole bit, right? That's John. Listen to what Jesus tells him. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You know this. Three times he asked this. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then what did he say? Feed, tend my lambs. Do you know what causes you and me to care about other people? Loving Jesus Christ more than life. You want to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ? Put that as your focus. God, give me a greater love for you. God, show me the greatness of your glory. Pray what Moses prayed. Show me your glory, God. Show me who you are. Holy Spirit, teach me the character of God. Show me the character of Christ. Show me the Lord. And then give me a greater love and a hunger and a thirst for him. Make that your focus, brothers and sisters, because that's what this psalm says you're to do. If you're going to emulate anyone, and we are, who ought it to be? The man or the woman who embodies what we're just describing. That's who we put as our hero. And I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, that person won't, won't typically be. They may be, but they won't be able to throw a football 80 yards on a rope. And they won't be the, the one who can beat people up and, and, and knock them out in two minutes, MMA. They won't be the one who drives that fantastic car. They could be, right? They won't be the one who looks like that guy in that, in that ad. They may be um, ugly, they may be poor, they may be, but brothers and sisters, that becomes, this is what God says, on your trek to Jerusalem, that's what you want. That's who, guard your heart from, or, um, from what you were, um, um, envy, envy that. All right, so that's the call. That then leads to the eternal consequences. Notice with me the eternal consequences, verses 2 and 4. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, what is that? Well, in the context, that's becoming a man or woman of God. 
When you shall eat from the fruit of your hands, when you embody that, when you are a man or a woman of God whose greatest love in life is reverencing God out of love, what's the result? You will be happy and it will be well with you. Now, your text probably says you'll be blessed, and that's the better translation, because that's the exact same word in verse 1, a shard. You know what this says? If you envy godly people, eventually you'll become the obvious. You'll become the people that other people envy. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you've learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrusted faithful men who will teach others also. You'll be people who people want to be like. Okay, that's one. But more importantly, notice, and it will be well with you. See that word well? In the, in the Hebrew, that word is tov. Now, you know that word, I think. That's the word used 490, uh, 482 times throughout the Old Testament. It's a very common word. And it's the word translated typically good, beautiful, beneficial. Um, I'll give you a whole list. Good, pleasant, beautiful, delightful, glad, joyful, precious. But it's the word used in Genesis 1. After the days of creation, God would say, and, and that was the fourth day, behold, it was good, tov. Fifth day, behold, it was good. In the very end, it says, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was tov me'od. It was very good. That's the word tov. Now, again, it's translated variously, good, pleasant, beautiful, bountiful, delightful, glad, joyful, precious. But at its root, that's the, that's the result of its root. You know what the root of tov is at the essence of tov? Tov speaks of something which has reached its full uh, potential. That's the fill-in. Tov references something that has reached or approached its full potential. And that is why this word tov also is translated as correct or righteous. What's righteous? Something that's in accordance with what it should be, what is, what is right, right? So when, the great, when by the grace of God we both love the Lord and live reverently before him, what happens? We take a massive step toward becoming that which God had in mind when he saved us. We become the man or the woman God called us to be. Brothers and sisters, if I could use C.S. Lewis, we become people. Sin makes us animals. If you look around, the more sinful our culture becomes, the more animal-like men and women will become. Look at them. Look at our culture. The only thing that, that makes us human beings is Jesus. Jesus is the perfect man. He is, the, he, he is what constitutes humanity, perfect hum, uh, humanity. And the more we grow in Christ, if we could use the line which in the wardrobe pictures of animals... Our hoofs turn into hands. Our horns start going away. They recede, right? Because we become more and more human-like and less and less animal-like, right? We become the people God wants us to be, tov. It will be tov with you. Um, If there are any questions about that, any doubts, really, notice with me verse 4. Behold, again, you're never going to believe this, um... For thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. See that word blessed? That's different from the, from the word blessed in verses 1 and 2. 1 and 2 is ashar, and that's the word for um, envy, right? One, who, who we should envy, who we should desire to be like. The word blessed here is barak. And barak, according to the theological book of the Old Testament, is defined as to endure 
with power for success, prosperity, fecundity. I had to look that one up. Um, fruitfulness, fecundity, and longevity. So if you fear the Lord, you're going to be empowered with the ability to become what God wants you to be. That's the point. Verse 4, verse 2. So the eternal consequence, do you know how thrilled you're going to be? You're going to have, you may have nothing, just like the man or the woman who you're trying to uh, to emulate. You may give all your money to feed the poor. You may do all these things out of love for God. But you will be so filled with um, happiness, joy, peace, gladness, because you will be, you will be becoming the people God made you to be, what you'll be in glory contented. You know that the fruit of the Spirit, the first three are the attitudes in the last, whatever they are, I forget, um, flow f- from that. Love, joy, peace. That's something that you and I become. And when that happens, the result is the rest of the, the fruit. Love, joy, peace. Brothers and sisters, that's what we start be, that's what will be, will be characterized. That's the idea. We become what God wants us to be. That's the eternal consequence. Boy, talk about a motive. You know, the highest suicide rate has always been amongst the wealthy, the elderly. Why? They've got everything they've ever wanted. And boy, does it ever not fulfill. Does it ever not give me what I want? Man, great. I'll, I've told you this. This time I worked in the, in the plant nursery, and this elderly gentleman came in v- driving his Mercedes, and he came on in, and he, he asked for something, and I helped get it for him, and I, I rang him out, and, and uh, he was walking out, and he stopped at the door, and he looked back at, at me, and he said, you know how they say these are the golden years? And I said, yeah. He said, they suck. And he walked away. The guy was wealthy, man. The guy was wearing a very nice suit, very nice car. Brothers and sisters, do you know what happens if your passion in life is to follow men and women who reverence God and who love him more than life? You're filled, man. You're filled overflowing. You're tove. You become that which God made you to be. You're blessed, Barak. You become, you become filled with fruitfulness and you become that which God wants you to, to be. That's the eternal. Now, temporally, notice it's twofold. Temporally, one, when it comes to our family. Now, once again, this is an example. This is just one example. Here, it's not even talking about women. Women, this doesn't apply to you. This is only men. Last week, last time, you, the temptation was, you know, this doesn't apply to me. I'm single. It's, you know, 127. Men and women who are married. And I told you guys, it's just one example. This example could be used, it could be restated a thousand times in a thousand different ways. The point is, what does godliness do on this earth? 1 Timothy 4, 7b and 8, right? Um, Guard yourself for godliness, for it is profitable not only for the world to to come, but also in the present, right? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Bodily discipline is is only a little uh, benefit, but godliness is profitable for all things since this whole promise for the present life and the life to come. What's the, the, the benefit of godliness? Psalm 128. What is it? Number one, when it comes to our family, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like all of plants around your table. This is incredible. The fruitful vine. So when a man of God is in his home, 
if a man of God doesn't come and just bark out orders, do this, do that, but is a man who reflects the heart, the passion, the way of the Lord, the manner of Jesus Christ, who reverences God and loves him, and what he does is the overflow of that. You know what happens? Not always, but generally speaking, the wife is a fruitful vine. You know what a fruitful vine is? The, the both are from uh, farming. A fruitful vine is a picture of fruitfulness and so a source of refreshment and joy. Uh, um, uh, uh, Real-time refreshment and joy. Physically, relationally, um, emotionally, sexually. All of that's covered here. Your wife will be a companion in Christ. And she'll, she'll, you, will, you will fellowship with her and, and it will be rich and deep. That's the idea. She'll be a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine is where you go to and you immediately enjoy the benefit. Olive trees, completely different. Olive plants, I'll read, has reference to seedlings. And so that which is to be nourished with great potential for the future, which is Psalm 127, right? Yet the potential is long in coming. All of plants, brothers and sisters, take a long time till they become fruitful. But once they become fruitful, they can be fruitful for a very long time. I have a picture there of, it's known as the sisters. There are 16 olive trees in Lebanon, which is northern Galilee in Christ's day. They were planted, according to Wikipedia, and it could be wrong, planted 6,000 years ago. And they're still producing olives. Think about that. 3,000 years before Abraham, someone in his family planted 16 olive trees. And 6,000 years later, the impact of that man and his family are still being enjoyed and felt this day. That's the idea behind olive plants. Your children, man, you want to raise your kids to, be, to have a massive impact in this world? Teach them the love of Christ. Teach them the reverence of the Lord. Don't worry about their grades. Don't worry about their, their looks and their popularity. Don't look about how far they can run or how fast they can run or what they can play. Make sure your children love Christ more than life. And the way that happens is by you being open and saying, I don't love Christ more than life. Pray for me, children. That's my passion. And secondly, teach them the fear and the reverence of God. May that be what they want too. And when that happens, guess what happens? Your children grow up and you're long dead. And their children and their children and their children and their children, by God's grace, walk in the Lord. Do you see the impact of godliness on this earth? It has tangible benefits. Not only does it, does it make you close to what God wants you to be, which talk about joy, peace, incredibleness, right? Love. But on top of that, it impacts your marriage if you're a married man. It impacts your children if you're parents. By God's grace, you reach children who grow up and likewise love Christ and reverence him. But notice there's, a, there's another application when it comes to the family of God. Notice verse 5. The Lord bless you. That's the word Barak. The Lord give you great fruit from Zion. Now Zion is Jerusalem and ultimately the temple. So God's saying this. Another way this is going to bless you is in the context of the temple, which for us is the church. All right? Application. The only application here would be the corporate body of Christ. The temple where we worship God. So God says, oh, the Lord is going to give you great fruit in the context of the body, the church. 
Oh, really? Explain that. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You know what happens when, the idea is here, is when a man or a woman of God comes to the body of Jesus Christ, when a church is filled with men and women of God, do you know what happens? The church is, as we have it here, is prosperous all the days of your life. Now you go, oh, you, you mean numbers? We'll be a 4,000-member church. We'll have a massive amount of offering, right? Bodies, bucks, and buildings. We'll have a beautiful building. That's prosperity. Well, that's in America. But in the Bible, it's a church where you go to and you walk away inspired, desiring to love Christ and reverence him. When you got a church filled with that, it's prosperous. Whether you be three people or three billion. Okay? Secondly, would you notice, um, well, read the quote from McShane, the incredible impact. Here he's talking of a godly minister, but it would be true of any one man or woman of Christ in the context of the body. A heated iron, though blunt, will pierce its way even um, even where a much sharper instrument, if it be cold, cannot penetrate. So if our ministers only be filled with the Spirit, if the body of Christ be filled with the Spirit, who is like fire, we will pierce into the hardest hearts where the sharpest wits cannot find their way. How diligently the Calvary officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest of care. Remember, you are God's sword. His instrument, I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the, its uh, success. Get this, it's not great talents God blesses as likeness to Christ. A holy minister, a holy mom, a holy dad, a holy um, employee is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And the result is 6a, indeed, may you see your children's children's covenant succession. Brothers and sisters, a church is the greatest youth program you can ever have. Parents who love Christ more than life and reverence him. You know what they tend to do? They raise kids who love Christ more than life. It's not always, but tend to love Christ more than life and reverence him. Okay? Incredible. So he closes with this last statement, peace be upon Israel. Do you understand what that means now? When you read that before, you're like, well, that's a nice ending. Shalom et Israel, right? Shalom, whatever, right? Peace be to Israel. What is that peace? Well, what we just saw. May God bless. In essence, he's saying, brothers and sisters, set as your passion, Christ. Knowing him, loving him. And when that happens, this church will be filled with blessing. Peace be upon the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word, this incredible psalm that you gave to your pilgrim people to govern and guide their minds, their desires, their passions. Lord, this world is so filled with deceit and lies. We began this our, our, our sojourn, our, our pilgrimage in Psalm 120 that bemoans the deceitfulness of the world in which we live. God, that's our world. And because of that, O oh Lord, we can be found at times valuing the things we ought never to value. 
longing for the things that are passing, longing for the things that are vanity, Psalm 127. God, give us the grace to heed this passage, to watch over our hearts with all diligence, to set as our passion, our glory, our joy, and our delight, you. Knowing you, exalting you, loving you. And then, O oh Lord, because we are, 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 are relational beings, God, give us the grace as people to be very careful who we choose to be those that minister to us. And therefore, Lord, to choose the man or the men, the woman, or the women who embody reverencing and loving you. God, bless Bethel towards that end. May peace be upon this body. Shalom. May we know it in the midst of a world that is in turmoil with more shootings last night and, and more natural disasters going on and more train spillages. And Lord, we live in the tumultuous world, but God, it, inside, if you, are, if you be the Lord and you be our love and our light, inside is peace and joy and security. God, grant us that, I pray. May the legacy of Bethel not be a program, but may it be a people who love Jesus Christ more than life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's go to the table, Lord, in the time that we've got left.